grace, mercy, and peace be yours in abundance from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Earlier in our Thanksgiving Eve service here tonight, we sang from our hymn of praise, God makes the clouds rain goodness, the deserts bloom in spring, the hills leap up in gladness, the valleys laugh and sing. That almost brings laughter to my soul right now. What an idyllic picture all that paints. Clouds, raining, goodness. We could use some of that wet goodness right about now in Southern California, couldn't we? Blooming deserts, leaping hills, and laughing valleys. This sounds like one of those picturesque wall calendars that Vera is always selling as a youth fundraiser. And it calls for a joyous response of song, quote, fruit unto God's praise to yield, unquote, as we also sang in our opening hymn tonight, come ye thankful people, come. But notice what all this goodness and gratitude is tied to, please. All this joy and jubilee flows heavily with metaphors that all have to do with land. From this God-given land comes all these praises and songs. From, from, for Old Testament Israel, this was not metaphorical at all. For in our Old Testament lesson tonight from Deuteronomy 8, Moses has brought the children of Israel to the literal brink of the land that God promised their forebears, namely Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses prepares God's people to receive with gratitude this blessing of the promised land. So shall you keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out into the valleys and hills, figs, wheat and barley, pomegranates, olives and honey. Continuing with the quote, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you from our Old Testament reading. And you shall eat and be full, verse 10 says. I think everybody here can relate to that one, especially on the brink of tomorrow's feasting off the land of plenty. Indeed, some of us, and I'm including myself here, will probably eat too much. We might as well get that confession out of the way right now before God and our brothers and sisters. But such are the blessings that come from the generous hand of God. They don't come piecemeal, measured, and rationed. When God does something, he does it all the way. God goes big. When I hear these words of Moses saying, you shall eat and be full, I can't help but be reminded of that big feasting miracle recorded for us in all four Gospels. I'm talking about the feeding of the 5,000. There, Jesus, the God-man, provides on that joyous hillside a massive meal by any standard, even by today's standards. And I'm pretty sure there was leaping with gladness to go along with laughing and singing on that hillside. And it says there in all four gospel accounts, echoing the words of Moses, they all ate and were satisfied. 
all those many thousands of pilgrims who followed Jesus over there, and all the disciples, too, who picked up 12 baskets of leftovers for themselves. Leftovers are always so good as well, aren't they? So God goes big. It should be said here as well that God also goes wide. Wide. What's the difference? Well, by wide, here I mean to say that on that Galilean hillside where Jesus fed the multitude, he did not first ask to see their meal tickets, nor did he need to check their Jewish ID cards or party affiliation. No, Jesus just indiscriminately, if you were, if you will, put food into the mouths of the hungry. No matter who they were, how holy they had been that day, or what relationship he did have or did not have with the blessed recipients and their family members who were simply in need. And you see the very same thing going on with Jesus and the lepers, don't you? The lepers that Jesus heals in our gospel lesson tonight were ten. All encountered the Lord at a distance as he passed between Galilee and Samaria. Now that's Gentile territory. And the Samaritans were looked down upon as mixed bloods as far as the Jews were concerned. But Jesus heals them all without qualification at their mere cry of need. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus does not even hinge his healing on whether or not they will return thanks for being cured of this uncurable disease. But one healed leopard, leper, a, a Samaritan, records Luke, does return to give his heartfelt thanks to the Lord. The fact that Luke singles the Samaritan out for his display of gratitude reveals what the Lord finds good and pleasing for us to do in our own lives today and tomorrow. I'm sure you have your own Thanksgiving traditions in your own family, whether it may be that formal round robin, you know, where you go around and everybody takes a turn sharing one thing for which they are especially thankful that this year. Or maybe in your home it's a special Thanksgiving prayer offered up by a different family member each year on behalf of everyone gathered there under your roof. We find our ways, don't we, including the giving part of thanksgiving. It's especially in our epistle lesson tonight that we see most clearly this giving aspect of thanksgiving. The Christian believers there in Philippi are singled out by St. Paul for their sincere eagerness to help them out with their, help Paul out with their treasures, cash donations. Says Paul, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul, in turn now, thanks them, the Philippians. And so you see this thanks works, it works its way all around. It's contagious, isn't it? This giving thanks for God's grace and goodness to them. The Philippians eagerly support Paul in sincere appreciation. Then Paul praises the Philippians in this thank you letter for their goodness being passed on to him. Good and gracious blessings all around. That's what we like to see. And it all starts with the good Lord from above. It's like we're back to our hymn of praise once again. God makes the clouds 
rain goodness. This goodness all around that rains down from the Lord our God above has a name. It has a classification, if you will. It's called God's common grace. Common grace. As opposed to God's special grace, which blesses God's children by faith in Christ only. It is to this so-called common grace that Jesus alludes in his Sermon on the Mount. Your Father in heaven, Jesus points out, quote, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, in Matthew 5. Now this is as wide as you can get. We talked earlier about God's grace being wide, right? Back in those days, for example, uh, I'm talking about those days when marijuana was still illegal in California, remember when? Growers of that contraband weed would nevertheless enjoy the very same rainfall as, say, organic farmers in the field next door who were donating half their harvest to the local soup kitchen. Not fair? Unjust? That's exactly what Jesus was saying. God makes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust alike. Those of us who strive each day to try and make an honest living can, understandably, have difficulty swallowing this one. I sympathize, and so can everybody else here who, with their extra holiday time, has ever found themselves watching a movie where it begins with the villain seemingly getting away with a serious crime. There's just something in you now that makes you want to stick around for the whole movie you didn't plan on watching in order to watch that villain finally get his in the end. It's that innate sense of justice within us, an inner gauge of right and wrong. We can't countenance somebody getting away with murder. Okay, so does that innate sense of justice within us then mean that we ourselves qualify as belonging to the camp of the righteous? Is everybody here just and good and able therefore to justifiably claim to the rightful, make a claim to the rightful receipt of all God's blessings as they rain down from above? Rain on me, Lord. Not so fast. Be careful what you call down. St. Paul is very quick to point out to all, both Jew and Gentile alike, quoting quoting from the Psalms, quoting from Ecclesiastes, from Isaiah, that indeed there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. No, not even one. When Jesus uttered those words on the Sermon on the Mount that the rain falls on the righteous, and the unrighteous alike, God the Father, looking down from a raindrop's perspective, would have only seen one person standing in the camp of the righteous. That is Jesus. And everybody else, murderers or not, are all in that other category. We we all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark. Murder, Jesus says, if you harbor any hatred for that crazy uncle already on his way to Thanksgiving dinner at your house tomorrow, then in God's holy eyes, you've already committed murder in your heart. From God's perspective, 
who wants us to love everybody, including our enemies. If you have ever failed to consider first the needs of your neighbor over and before your own, then you have missed the mark, the perfect mark of divine goodness with which God originally endowed man when he placed him in the midst of that perfect fruit-bearing paradise called Eden. Talk about a land of plenty right there, right? Of the fruit of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. And we chose evil. And we've been trying to master evil ever since. Only we tend to try and pluck out the cranberry out of our neighbor's eye before removing the giant turkey leg out of our own eye. I'm using the NTGV, the new Thanksgiving version of the Bible, quoting here. And the garden paradise, that's become paradise lost. The land of plenty, now the land of scarcity, for instance, with regard to our nation's homeless problem. Clouds of rain have become, in some drought-stricken areas like Southern California, promising clouds that bring no rain. These clouds with no rain now reflect our own broken promises to our gracious God. Like the promises the children of Israel swore to Moses when they gazed longingly upon the promised land into which they were about to enter. Moses set the way of the Lord before them. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. All the people swore that they would indeed obey all of God's commands. They promised to be good, but they didn't. They weren't. Seldom, in fact, did they even feel any godly sorrow over it either. So all that is to say that from God's perspective, he didn't offer his common grace to, if, that is, if he did not offer his common grace to us, undeserving sinners, rain to the unjust, to selfish consumers, even the air that we breathe as much as we pollute it, then no mortal flesh would survive on this planet at all. We need this so-called common grace So, therefore, let us celebrate it to the full today and tomorrow with all the more earnestness. Indeed, every day, may we grow even more and more grateful for our functioning bodies, as well as for the glasses and the hearing aids that help us when our bodies lose their functioning. So much to be grateful for. Yes, we need this common grace for which all Americans can join together on this national holiday to praise nature's God as the Declaration of Independence describes him. But we know, as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that we need even more that special grace that comes only through the grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ our Lord. For there is no remission of sins found in deserts, hills, and valleys, is there? No matter how much they leap and laugh and sing. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. As it turns out, 
the desert's not really singing anyway. The peaks and valleys are all moaning and groaning along with all the rest of creation awaiting their redemption. And redemption is found in no other than the Lord of the harvest himself. The creator who became part of this sin-scarred creation in order to exchange his life for ours. The infinite word became flesh in order to communicate his special saving grace to all who would by faith receive him. For from out of his fullness, John writes, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So now, as you celebrate the life that the harvest field supplies our bodies tomorrow, remember too what all those amber waves of grain are really singing and saying. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.